So I'm, I am going to speak on hope. Um, I'm just going to read Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the, a prayer, his prayer, that's Paul's prayer. That's our prayer for one another and it's our prayer for ourselves, isn't it? And it's our prayer for the world. Yeah. So I'm going to split this um, talk up into a few little sections. And um, the first one's called Tremblings and Tremors. Then I'm doing Love and Longing. And then I'm doing Watered and Well. And the last one is Hope for the Nations, which doesn't alliterate. <laughs> so could you please, Sue, read Mark 13 for me? Verse 7 and 8, sorry. Yeah, and you're on. <laughs> 13, 7 and 8, I think it is. So, I mean, you will have heard those verses recently because lots of people are saying it. So, um, that's, and it's true. We were reminded that, you know, Jesus um, said those words many, many years ago, and it was happening then, and it's happening now. So, the Lord has a great big time scale for things, but he is also um, sort of like beyond time, also, also has his own time. But then within that, um, there's also that, our chronological time, which kind of runs in a kind of linear fashion. So it's kind of a bit complicated. So that's why sometimes the scriptures talk about things like many years ago, but they're, they're talking about things which are to come. But they're also talking about things which are there and then at the same time. So there's all these kind of tensions go on in scripture, especially when we're talking about these kinds of things. Um, so it's just worth bearing that in mind that this kind of like it's overarching or circular, if you like, almost like this eternity that um, uh, Karen was mentioning, his eternal time scale. But he is the beginning and the end. He is the A and the Z, the Alpha and the Omega, and he holds it all together. But I love the phrase here: "Do not be alarmed." Do not be alarmed. You know, it says. Um, See to it that you are not alarmed. So there is shaking in the earth. And shaking of the earth is inevitable because the earth is not where the earth needs to be. The earth's not where the earth needs to be. The earth is being taken somewhere to another place almost. But there's a journey really that, that, that we have to go on. And anybody who's living on the earth has to be on, is on that journey. And we're on that journey. We're 2,000 years further down the chron chronology than where Jesus was, but when we're on that journey, we don't know how long that line is going to last for. But the Lord gives us comfort along the way because we're waiting for something. It looks like, like the end of the line, but it's actually something that's always been and something that is to come. 
which is hard to grasp. <laughs> so the shaking of the earth is inevitable. But the Lord says to us, see to it you are not alarmed, stand firm to the end. Those verses finish with, it's repeated in Matthew 24. Stand firm to the end. And we need to know how to navigate this season of shaking. Because, you know, I'm not living on the earth 100 years ago. I'm not, living, I'm not going to be living on the earth in 100 years' time. I'm living on the earth now. So I, we need to know what's God doing now. What's my part now? How's, how does my life fit in with this? Not just what's my job in this, but just how am I flowing with him now? So it says in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it, there's a time to tear down and a time to build, a time for war and a time for peace. So there's an ebbing and a flowing, the seasons, the cycles, all of that is part of our, the chronology of time. But this is definitely a season of shaking. Now, whether it's a bigger season of shaking than any other season of shaking, whether there's an even bigger season of shaking coming, there may well be. But we need to know, because we're here and we're now, what this shaking is for us now and how to navigate it. So these are the tremblings and the tremors. So the earth's shaking. And the Lord has this big plan and we do need to grasp it. The tremors we know come in the physical, so there's physical earthquakes, but there's the metaphorical as well, aren't they? You know, that things are caused to shake. So, so there are also rulers and governments, nations are caused to shake. Nations have one set of rulers and then they shake and there's a coup and there's another set of rulers and other things come along. And so rulers are changing constantly throughout the nations. But one ruler doesn't change. One ruler doesn't change. When the earthquake comes, the ground literally shakes. And if I was there when there was an earthquake, I'd be fearful. I mean, I was there in Skelmersdale, that center of earthquake activity, when there was a minor earthquake and the armchair moved slightly across the floor. Well, that was shocking. <laughs> So I dread to think what it would be like in other situations where everything collapses around. And we knew someone, didn't we? We know, uh, I think I mentioned her before, um, Fatima, who was um, in the middle of the Morocco earthquake, just, was it last year? Yeah, last year. And so some of the buildings, I think, that we were probably in collapsed, I think. And her home collapsed as well, yeah. You just can't imagine it, can you, you know? But they're also seen as being signs of what the Lord's doing. But it's going to bring a natural fearfulness, isn't it? You know, if I was in that situation, I'd be naturally fearful. And this, the Lord wants to speak into that, though. He wants to speak into that fearfulness. So the alarmed is like agitated, thrown into confusion, wanting to cry out. But if we look at, uh, Mike, could you look up Haggai 2, please? Six and seven, and I'll look up Hebrews. And if Mike reads out the Haggai verses, because Mike did three sermons on Haggai, which were really great. If you can listen to them on the podcast, 
This is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So the shaking has a purpose. He says, I'll shake the heavens and the earth, but the but, next step, the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this temple. So that's a hopeful, those are hopeful verses. We don't like the first bit, but I'm, I should go this way really for you. Shouldn't this, this way, which way do we go? Yeah, that's the end. So the hope is here. So the earth shakes, the desire of all nations comes and we all know his name, Jesus, and then the temple is filled. And that's, you know, we are his temple. You know, he is also a temple, but he fills us with him. And there's a completion. And that's why it goes on. And I'm linking back into those sermons. I'm linking back into Tom when it says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So of a physical building of a temple, that glory that's to come is much greater so what does this trembling and tr what do the tremors and the trembling achieve? Apart from to make you go, <laughs> well, there's a few things I think are achieved in the trembling and the tremors. I think he does things that are um, not much use kind of fall apart. You know, obviously things which are of use do fall apart. We've, we've seen like physical buildings that we might need. But things, things crumble up, don't they? And some things which are perhaps not going to be useful to us, it's an opportunity when we're shaken to reappraise the things which are serving us well in loving the Lord and building for his kingdom and the things which are not serving us well. So there's a shaking in that. So we become shaken. So for his people, the shaking reorganizes and realigns us to himself and causes us to rely upon him again in a fresh and a new way. Now, this, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, really. But also, the Lord in the shaking is, seems near. He's not far off, he's near. And he often does things in shaking times which are miraculous and powerful. And he comes to us in fresh ways to stand with us, to show us himself and to reveal himself to the world. So the times of shaking do that because it stops us relying on our own self or relying on systems or structures that we've relied on before because we can see them crumbling. So he's doing that with us and we know the Lord so the fear, the natural fear, which is developed in the people who don't yet know him and don't have a hope, will cause them to cry out. It causes them to cry out. It causes them to question. But with us, the shaking, it doesn't shake us so completely, you know, that we, because we, that we don't see him. It's the opposite. He comes near. He fills us and strengthens us and does a work in us, which we'll go on to describe a bit further. 
So also the Lord wants to make us earthquake-proof. So there are buildings throughout the world that are built earthquake-proof. And what are some of the things that they do to make the buildings earthquake-proof is they do different things with the foundations. So the foundations of the buildings, there's this thing called um, the mention structure. You're in that department. So the mention structure is is a kind of a foundation that's built into the ground, which kind of shifts from side to side in a way that, that the building on top sort of moves, but is kept relatively stable. If you're good at physics and engineering and civil engineering, you'd understand it. I partially understood it, but it works. But another aspect of that flexible foundation so it's still a firm foundation, but it's like a flexible foundation as well, which is interesting, because we tend to think of firm foundations as being totally immovable, and there is an immovable aspect of the rock, obviously, that's in Scripture. But there's just something interesting about that flexibility of our foundation, and I think that's something that God actually wants us to do. Not that our flexibility is that we're going to put trust in something else. The opposite. The opposite being that as we put our trust in him, we realize that, that he understands the movement and he actually takes that strain. He takes more of the strain so that we can remain stable. So as the earth, the earth quakes, if you like, the earth shakes, he takes that strain. He does the compensating. He does the for us, for his people. That's what he does. And so we remain stable. But then our part is, in the actual building itself, there are structures which are called ductile structures. See, I'm getting all into civil engineering now. And these just mean that they're bendy. And things which are bendy, like steel apparently is fairly bendy, which I didn't realize, thought it was fairly stiff, but apparently it's not. And wood. Now, we understand about wood, because when the wind blows on a tree, it doesn't go straight away, does it? It bends and gives. And so... There's something more about the tree that the Lord's calling us into being a bit more tree-like in the shaking. So what could have been unstable becomes stable in him. Then the shaking time causes our foundations to be revealed, which we've said, and we might need to bring about some engineering modifications. So he reveals our weak areas and sees where we need reinforcement. That's what happens in the shaking. And reveals some rotten areas, which we said before, which might need throwing out. So foundations are mentioned in many, many places, aren't they, in Scripture? So in Isaiah 28 and in Matthew 21, Jesus, our cornerstone, you know, that, the one on whom everything else is built and is all aligned to. And the storms come, don't they? The shaking is storms as well. And they blow across the land and the sea. And Ephesians 4 reminds us to be built on the foundations of truth. It speaks about the apostles and the prophets. But to be built up in our relational knowledge of Jesus. You know, we're here one for another. Like currently, apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, evangelists. We're all here to be building up the body. We don't do this on our own. That's part of our foundational strength is to be built together with others. Yeah. 
so we're no longer tossed to and fro by the waves, it says in the word. Whether that's philosophies opposed to Jesus, the devil's lies, or just troubles. So when those storms come, we kind of can move with it, but our foundations remain firm. <clears throat> so in Psalm 46, verse 5, it talks really about um, Zion, that the Lord is within her, she will not fall. You know, we may be shaken, but we're not going to be destroyed. So then, love and longing. So we've talked a little bit about foundations. We're going to talk a little bit more about trees and rootedness a bit later in this little bit about wellness and things. So we know the proverb which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And it's the tree of life part. Now, I do know that many people are going to be carrying hopes deferred, things which you wanted to see happen, which may well not have happened. And Mike touched on this when he spoke about two things which um, take us away from the fullness of God, one of which was disappointment, was it? No, one of them was dis discouragement, and the other one was distraction. Exactly, well done, thank you for remembering that. <laughs> yeah, so discouragement, and discouragement and disappointment are kind of partners really, aren't they? Usually, you know, when we get let down by things, it's a discouragement, isn't it? But the thing that we are kind of really longing for um, is in Romans 8. So I'm just going to turn to Romans 8. And uh, the part that our friend uh, read out earlier on, which was fantastic, was the later part to the part that I'm going to read. I'm just going to read the bit before that. Um, so it's... Um, the title, in more than one version, uh, which we know um, is just sort of what the, right, the uh, translators have put in, is future glory. I consider that our present sufferings, this is in the NIV, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Have we already mentioned the pains of childbirth this morning? Right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit who have the first fruits of the Spirit, sorry, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So when we were talking about what he's doing at the end, it's like all those, there's a lot of words there, but if you read it in the message or you read it in the Passion Translation, it kind of Englishizes it for us, you know, and it kind of becomes a bit clearer. But really what it's saying is, we know that we don't fully live here. We know that we're not fully completed as much as we want to be. In, we're not fully looking like Jesus as much as we want to. 
we know that whilst we know we have his fullness, we also know there's more. We also know there's something else. We, know, we also know there's got to be a revealing that comes. And that there's a longing in us for that. There's a longing in us for that. And it, but we need to keep, keep hold of that longing. Because actually, the fact that we've got the longing says that it's coming. That's like the, the longing is tied to the promise. Now, shifting it a little bit, what else are we longing for? Well, we are longing for the bridegroom. So, Scripture's full of these metaphors, and then the next one well, switches to another metaphor. But you think, well, if I was to be engaged and engaged for a while, I would be longing for the marriage, wouldn't I? And that longing there keeps your eyes on the prize, doesn't it? You know, because... And the thing with Jesus is that he, he's promised something, he's going to do it. He's not going to promise his betrothed that he's going to marry her, us, the body, and then not do it. You know, he's going to. <laughs> he's going to keep his promise. And it's important that our love and our desire for the Lord, that's actually one of the things which keeps us steady in the storm. That's one of the things which keeps us firm as we kind of have a long view. And that's why we read earlier on about waiting patiently because there's an element of waiting and longing. So when we love him and we long for him, that actually, that's the, that's the hope we have that it's coming. But it's not just there because we're not just waiting for this bridegroom that's far off because Jesus is here with us now. So again, it's one of those tensions, isn't it? The now and the not yet. He's here. We know we can have him in all his fullness, but yet there's more fullness, and it's like, I can't, you know, does not compute. So there's a longing in creation for this fulfillment of the transformation of us into his image and us joining with him completely. But there may be things that we're longing for, disappointments that we have experienced that have given our hope a knock. Now, I, I've not got time, and you'd be grateful for that, that I'm not going to go into all of that right now. But if um, this book actually does go into it more, and um, I would like to give this book to somebody today. Um, and it, we might have to just put up with one or two highlights that I've put in it. But I'm going to give this book to somebody today. Because there's, there's elements in this book which are going to be really helpful to help you navigate through disappointments and have your vision for hope renewed. But one of the things which is part of the way the Lord works, and it's not that I have an answer for everything, because none of us do, but there may be things we are longing for, but we trust in him because we trust in his character and we trust in his timings and Rachel Hickson here has got a, a phrase which she talks about wounded hope so that's, that's covered here in this book and that's really really good 
So Jesus is our living hope, isn't he? It says in 1 Timothy, he's not far off. Like I said, he sustains us. And hope sustains us, it says in 1 Peter, as we trust and wait. Now, it's hard to trust someone we don't know. So as we experience this shaking, there's a kind of throwing us on him. He wants us to throw ourselves on him. He wants us to launch ourselves towards him. He wants us to sit in a place that waits as well. He wants us to create a space where we can listen, create a space where we can worship, create a space where we can communicate. And let's just go on into this next section of their watered and well. So we've all read about the tree which is planted by the river whose roots go deep and its leaves flourish and this fruit. And this is what the Lord has for us, a flourishing. Even when it's a difficult time or a dark time, now I learned something new, that actually in the winter season, even when, not when it's the ground's rock hard and frozen, sort of down several, you know, permafrost, we're not talking about that, we're just talking about cold, that the plants really need that chill. They need that chill because they do actually need to rest Parts of the plant need to rest and not be using up energy, but other parts of the plant are at work. So the root systems of bulbs, the root systems of trees, the root systems of your lawn, apparently, are all going deeper and getting stronger over the winter period, which I didn't realize. So as that's happening, you're not seeing necessarily much on the surface. So, but in the darker times, the Lord can use that time as we lean into him to create those stronger root systems. But in those darker times as well, it's important to guard our heart. It's so important we guard our heart against bitterness because disappointment can bring bitterness. So we need to guard our heart against bitterness. Now, it says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, and I am going to read this, um, find it. There we go. Okay. Um. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Well, you kind of think, that's strange. You've got all these difficult things going on, yet inwardly is being renewed. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, and it's this part here, achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Well, how can your troubles be achieving glory? I don't know how it works, but I think some of it must be to do with how we connect with the Lord. So what he's saying is, in your light and momentary troubles, and, that, and you kind of think, some stuff's pretty heavy here. It doesn't seem, you know, some of the stuff that goes on is heavy. It doesn't seem like a light and momentary trouble. But in it is the potential for something glorious within us, which is kingdom, which might not be massively apparent on the outside, 
to be achieved. I don't understand how that works, apart from I know it can only work if we are close, leaning into the Lord, allowing him to commune with us, minister to those tender, difficult areas which may well have suffered. Because he's not, he doesn't just go, okay, off you go with your troubles, I'm just going to achieve some glory randomly through you at some point. No, it's a kind of communion with him. It comes out of communion with him. So that's an amazing thing that he says, you know, glory can increase in us. We don't know what that means fully, but we know it's good. But at the same time, he's comforting us. So if you're going through something, there's two things there. The Lord's got comfort for you, and he's creating glory, which I kind of think is an amazing mystery. But he himself is not mysterious. You know, he wants to make himself known. So our taproot needs to be in him, anchored in heaven, where we are planted, as it says in Psalm 1 and Isaiah 58. So just finally now, just looking at the last part, I feel that the Lord is also saying to us that with the hope thing, how can we point people to the hope, apart from just on a superficial level, you could say, well, Jesus is the hope of the world. You know, he died on the cross for you. He was resurrected so you can have eternal life. And we could all say that. But we've all got a story. And our story is a hope story. Our story is a hope-filled story. And that hope-filled story is filled with life. So when the people here who are darkness, in darkness and without hope in the world, because he says once you were there, once you were in darkness without hope in the world, but now, well, we're presuming he's talking about the opposite. Well, I'm in the light with hope in the world. So if this is us with light and hope in the world, and we are those lights, then when people are asking questions, where are they going to turn? Well, they may well turn directly to Jesus. But I was thinking, these are some of the questions people are asking. And this is, I'm kind of finishing with this and then a bit from Isaiah 60, just so you know that we are finishing and you're not here for the rest of the day. So these are the questions that people's spirits are crying out. Where are the beacons in the darkness? Imagine you're somebody in the darkness and you, this is what you're crying out. Where are the beacons in the darkness? Where's the water in the drought? Where's the grain when the barns are empty? Where's the provision when people's runs out? Where is the healing for the hurting? Where is the freedom for those who are bound? Where is the certainty where can it be found? What does life have in store for me? Who is it who really loves me? 
Where is my true home? Who is on the throne? They don't know they're asking that question, who's on the throne? But they are. They are asking that question, who's on the throne? And we have the answer. We have the answer. We actually don't just have the answer, and it might seem a step too far to say, we are the answer. But it's not a step too far, because he said, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So who's he sending? Us. So you've been sent here. You might be sent somewhere else. But we need to know that hope in order to be that hope, in order to point people to the hope. Because every single thing that Jesus said about himself, he, he kind of goes right back at you with it. He says that he's the light of the world, and then, he, then Scripture says that we are the light of the world. And obviously he's the ultimate light of the world. And he says that out of us, live, uh, rivers of living water will flow. So, just to finish, we just need to open ourselves to the Lord and say, I just want you to awaken me to your hope for my circumstance, but my life. But I want to have a greater grasp of you as the bridegroom, that I'm in this period of um, the now and the not yet, and that I know where it's all going. So when we see the earth shaking, that we have a hope, we have a firm foundation, and we have this hope which is anchored in heaven, isn't it? So you kind of think of heaven as being up there because that's what it talks about. But I mean, you know, heaven, heaven could be over there. You know, it's just where we are anchored. We're anchored in Jesus. We're anchored in him. So let's just pray. So Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you are the hope of the world, Lord. And the world is all of us, Lord. There's the world that does not yet know you, and then there's we who do know you. So Lord, you are our hope. The hope of glory is in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would stir up our affection for you as you lean in and love us. That you would stir up that vision of you that would spur us on and keep us strengthened in you. And, Lord, I pray that you would minister to any who were disappointed, that you would minister to the hurting And Lord, that we would be those beacons, that we would be those wells, that we would be those people carrying the cups of water. And just as you broke the bread and fed the 5,000, and there were 12 baskets left over one time and seven baskets for the 4,000 the next, that those baskets really symbolize that we take that bread into the world. 
So, Lord, stir up hope and make it our firm foundation. Amen. Who wants the book? <laughs>